On this edition of the Table of Content, we are joined by Christopher Reibold. He is a Catholic writer, and we'll get to hear about his particular love for the saints and how that's translated over to some of his writings, and also how he has come to be a part of We Are One Body Audio Theater. Stay tuned. That's all coming up next, right here on the Table of Content. Thanks so much for being with us for this episode of The Table of Content. I am your host, Albert Sines, and we have the pleasure of being joined today by Christopher Reibold, a Catholic writer. Christopher, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me. So I'm going to kick off to you real fast here so you can go ahead and let the listeners know a little bit more about yourself and your background and how you came to where you are now. Okay, thank you. Um I, uh, I grew up in, in what I would describe as a, a nominally Catholic home. Uh, I was a bright kid. I read a lot. Uh, by the time I was 13, it seemed uh, self-evident to me that virgin births and people rising from the dead were the stuff of uh, folklore and fairy tale. Uh, I had a lot of questions. I didn't get good answers. And so I declined to make my confirmation. Uh, by the time I was 16 or 17, I had stopped attending Mass. I was, <clears throat> excuse me, I was away from the church for about 30 years. Uh, circumstances were in my life were such that I decided to make a career change. I decided to move back here to Pennsylvania uh, to be uh, closer to my family. Um, and, and in the process, uh, kind of getting, getting out of a situation that was stressful and that I needed to leave and, and getting back here to where I had you know, family and friends and some uh, emotional support that I needed at the time. Um, you know, it, it was an opportunity for me to kind of reflect and take a little stock. And I, one of the things I I kind of discovered uh, just as I was unpacking and looking at my bookshelves was that I had read many books about the saints. Um, I, I had a kind of blind spot about it, I suppose. If you'd asked me, I probably would have said, uh, well, yeah, I read the Wisdom of the Desert, or I read G.K. Chesterton's biography of Francis of Assisi, or that sort of thing. But I, I didn't consciously appreciate uh, how the saints had always been a part of my reading, um, and that was a, that was a kind of eye opening for me. It wasn't long after that that I made the decision to uh, to go to mass, um, and then I just kept going. And uh, that fall, that was 2013, I enrolled in the uh, RCIA program. Uh, at my local parish, and uh, I was confirmed at, at Easter of 2014. I'd always wanted to write. Um, I found myself writing about the saints, inspired by the saints. They, they played such an important role in my my decision to return to the church. It's really, I guess that's that's really how I was catechized was uh, was reading about uh, the, the the lives and experiences of the saints. Um, and I thought, well, if they could do that for me, they could do that for others. Uh, so that was kind of the how the subject matter came to be. Um, I found myself writing these these little pieces that, uh, well, they worked a bit like the old uh, Paul Harvey uh, radio segment, The Rest of the Story, if you're mm -hmm, old, right. old enough to remember that. <laughs> sure, yeah. sure. But, you know, he, would, he would dramatize uh, some event in the life of a famous person, but he wouldn't tell you what he was talking about until he got to the end, and then he would say, now you know the rest of the story. And, and I was writing these little anecdotal pieces, these little descriptive pieces about some event in the life of uh, one of the saints. And I thought, 
well, they would make good radio content. They'd be they'd be good material for uh, you know a radio station to use if it you know if the mass uh, doesn't conclude right on the quarter hour or whatever, and you've got some time you need to fill before the next program starts, that sort of thing. So I started reaching out to uh, to Catholic radio stations uh, to see if um, you know if anybody was interested in this. And uh, I just I just reached out to Father Boniface, and we ended up uh, meeting and becoming friends. And uh, that that's how I eventually, or that's how I initially rather connected with uh, with WAOB Audio Theater. And uh, they were just getting started at the time, and they were looking for content. And so we took some of the the uh, anecdotal pieces that I had done, and uh, and we we developed them into a little bit longer. I mean, still short stories, but twenty minute stories. And that that provided some of the initial content for uh, for WAOB Audio Theater. I guess that's my my story. I, is there something I can particularly that I can speak to? Well, I, I guess uh, I, I'm I'm interested in the fact that it was. I, I want to get to your writings, but I'm interested in your kind of history and how you said that you were sort of unassumingly reading about the saints. How you hadn't quite realized that it was really a part of your readings, and how that was sort of your, I guess we'll call it a springboard for potentially helping to lead you back into the church. And I'm curious, just for the listeners, if you could maybe expand a bit more upon what it was about the saints, what it was about their lives that sort of intrigued you and sort of lured you back in. Yeah, I think I'm still working on the answer to that question all these years <laughs> later. I, I think there are certain things that, that occur in the lives of the saints that sort of resonate with me. I, um, uh, For example, we often see this sort of reverse Horatio Alger thing. You know, in the secular world, we have this uh, story of the self-made man, the, the person who pulled himself up by his bootstraps and went on to become a millionaire. And that's kind of the, the one of the inspirational stories we tell. But in the lives of the saints, we see uh, exactly the opposite uh, over and over again. We see people born into lives of, of wealth and privilege who walk away from that. To, uh, to, to go do the thing they felt, you know, called to do, which is, in many cases, is a really hard, hard form of service. Um, and some of them are, uh, well, they're just, they're just quirky and interesting stories. I, like uh, Angus the Chaldee, for example, is probably not, not well known, but kind of an inspirational figure to me. He was uh, basically passed on being king of Ireland so that he could go be uh, a monk and serve anonymously in this uh, in this monastery, and at the time there really weren't schools in uh, Ireland. If you were, uh, came from an upper class background and you were a boy, then sometimes you would be sent to the monastery to study. And uh, he actually outed himself unintentionally because he got caught teaching a student to read. Working with him, uh, him and tutoring him was the thing that uh, that caused the abbot to pay attention to him and realize that this um, uh, monk was more than a, a, a local who, uh, you know, who, who had been brought in to work in the fields. So it's just those kinds of interesting stories. He goes on to write some of the important uh, Irish histories. Uh, it, his uh, writings are a, a source of our, our knowledge of that, uh, a primary source of our, our knowledge of that period of Irish history. And then some of them, you know, um, I'll just, uh, real quick, I'll tell the story of Romanus of Lamont. There's another saint that it's very important at one point in the church, in church history, but is, is not well known today. Romanus, uh, his uncle Julian was the, the Bishop of Le Mans, the, the town in France where they have the Grand Prix every year. 
And Romanus was, he's described in the surviving literature as like scatterbrained and, and dim-witted and, uh, and unable to put his thoughts into words. Um, he may have had a speech impediment. He, he, we can't diagnose him from you know, 1,700 years after the fact, but it wouldn't surprise me if we'd have some kind of label for him today. And yet, Uncle Julian uh, ordained him and sent him to to uh, to preach uh, in these waterfront towns along the the Grand River estuary. And of course, today these are these are beautiful tourist towns. They're they're known for their their wines. This is Bordeaux region of France, so they're known for their wines. They're known for their surviving medieval uh, architecture. They're known for their uh, wildlife refuge. But it, but in the fourth century, you know, these were busy Roman ports. You know, these were these were the bar scene from Star Wars and. Uh, Mm-hmm. And, and into these, you know, wretched hives of scum and villainy to, to steal a line from Obi-Wan. Uh, it goes, <laughs> goes Romanus, right, to tell everybody about Jesus. Well, you can imagine how well that went. It didn't, it didn't go well at all. But Romanus was, uh, Romanus was persistent. He just kept, he just get up, go in the next day and do it again. And when combined with his sincerity, you know, when combined with his humility, when combined with his persistence, all of the, the characteristics about him, his, his social awkwardness, his appearance, his speech difficulties, they became the very things that endeared him to people. And attitudes uh, in these waterfront towns changed. He became a very popular figure and a very uh, important evangelist. You know, we think that he may have made as many as 40,000 converts over the course of his career, which you know, he remains to this day one of the most successful evangelists in the history of the church. And I remember, you know, kind of coming across that story. It was at a point in my life where I had, I'd left my corporate career. I'd made the decision to come back to the church. But I had a lot of questions about what I was going to do next. And, um, you know, trying to find uh, a, a way to employ my talents. Uh, and I, it's shocking how many things I am not good at. And, mm. uh, you know, Romanus really reminded me or really pointed out to me that, that we're endowed with exactly the characteristics that we're meant to have or that we need to have to play the role that we're meant to play in the kingdom of God. You know, I, I remember when I toyed, first started toying with the idea of getting up in front of people and telling stories live, I kept thinking, well, I need I need to find a partner, right? I, I, can, do the, I can do the research and the writing and that sort of thing, but but I need to find somebody who's who's tall and charismatic and has stage presence, and I'm not that person. <laughs> um, but uh, I have found that that's exactly what makes my storytelling work. You know, is that uh, it's just I think people sense that that I, I I'm I'm moved by these stories and and I find them inspirational and they were my route back to the church and I think that's a big part of the appeal. I appreciate that that comment that you made that you know you felt like you needed someone who was different to tell the stories, but yet it came to be you, and that's what's made the most impact. I've seen on different occasions in my experience of my faith where people who you wouldn't say, well, that's not the right person for this particular ministry uh, for any number of reasons, yet they seem to be just the exact person that was needed, whether it was through some trial of their own life or just really who they are in comparison to who they're working with. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think, uh, I think God, God works with the person or persons and their particular set of skills or lack of skills 
to make a a moment of uh, we'll say evangelization work really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think um, you know we're we're very blessed in the in the Catholic Church to have uh, really good scholars and apologists, uh, and we need those. But th- those guys are, are writing dozens of really good books every year that millions of people are not reading, mm-hmm. and uh, right. we need something to. We, we, there needs to be a pop culture side to this as well. The there needs to be a way to pique people's interest, you know, to start a conversation. To get, I I consider it a real success if I if I do my and and that leads somebody to go read a Scott Hahn book or a Brant Petrie book or a Mike Aquilina book, um, and that's how I see my that's how I see my role. I'm not uh, I'm not a, a, a priest. I'm not a, a theologian or scholar. Um, I'm just this guy. Who found his way back uh, to the church via the saints, and I and I love these stories, and I want to tell them to other people, and uh, I am finding that that you know there's an audience for that. That uh, that some of the people who come to see me have actually stopped me afterwards to tell me that they came because I'm a storyteller, and they weren't they didn't feel like they would be intimidated or or have a lot of theological concepts thrown at them that they they don't have the background to understand. And so that's that's where I fit in. I'm 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 front end. I'm about uh, storytelling. I'm I'm an entertainer, and I'm I'm trying to get people excited. I'm trying to to uh, find ways to get people interested in, in Catholicism broadly, with uh, with the saints as my primary kind of vehicle. We, we have a, a local parish uh, here that rescued a bunch of uh, beautiful statues from an old convent, and they they, they actually have a campus layout. It's it's a I think they have five acres. It's a pretty big piece of property, and they've put these statues up, you know, with paths connecting them. And at each place, there's a bench and that kind of thing. So you can do this little walk around the campus. And from time to time, they have me in to lead saint walks. So we'll go from, you know, from statue to statue, and I'll uh, and I'll I'll tell them who this person, you know, tell everybody who this person was, and tell a couple little stories about them. You know, just a lot of it is is standard biography. Uh, some of it is. It's just personally what they've come to mean to me. Some of it's just trivia, you know? The fact that uh, Francis of Assisi had a great singing voice, for example, and hated school are just, you know, things that are that are interesting to know and, and help to humanize him. I think we do have uh, a problem sometimes with having r- reduced uh, the saints to kind of two, two-dimensional figures. And, sure. uh, and yeah. that's, uh, that's, uh, that's a great one. That, that kind of, let's go for a walk and let's take a few minutes at each at each statue and tell the story. That's a great way to kind of get people thinking and get people engaged. Now, let's talk specifically uh, here for a few minutes about audio theater. So you you reached out, you met Father Boniface, then you were sort of linked into audio theater in the early stages. They were looking for content. So you started sharing your stories with them, and uh, they've obviously been recorded uh, by multiple people uh, retelling your stories. And I'm curious, from your standpoint, how has that been for you to hear your stories sort of brought to life in audio theater? Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's a lot of fun. I, audio theater is great on on uh, a number of different levels. But but for me, primarily, it's just an opportunity to, to get together with, uh, with other creative people who, who are thinking about how storytelling can be used to evangelize. Uh, and so it's been it's been a really good opportunity for me. 
Uh, I'm always thrilled to uh, to have uh, you know somebody read a story or to be invited to read one. I've done a, a, a fair amount of uh, voice work for them, um, you know, for, for for projects that were not necessarily my own, and that's that's been a, a great experience as well. So it's uh, again, it's it's about having some oppor- you know opportunity to interact with other other people who, of course, share the faith and and want to to evangelize in a, in a, you know, in a particular kind of way. And so I, I, I enjoy it. I, I'm happy to hear other people read my stories. Um, and if they've got a, a better way to tell it, that's great. So it's just, it's just a lot of fun. You know, uh, we've been trying to take some of con- some of the content that was recorded previously, even if it was several years ago, and try to bring some new life into it. And we've done a couple of your stories and sort of revisited the stories and now started to add uh, like sound effects to them. And, you know, we've worked on uh, over just at the end of last year, we worked on the Angel's Door and we worked on the hunting party. And to kind of listen to it again and work through the sound effects and listen to it now, you know, it certainly adds, it's been fun sort of as the story has been given even more life and more energy than it had been just when it was recorded. And that was a great story to begin with. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite is probably uh, the old churchyard by the sea, the uh, story about uh, St. Brona, uh, who was a disciple of St. Patrick. She uh, gathered together uh, a number of, of women religious and uh, along the coast of County Down. Uh, and in her day, that was an area where there were a lot of shipwrecks. And, and literally, they lived their vocation by operating a, a life-saving station and by, by becoming expert at, at rescuing uh, drowning sailors uh, in, the, in the wake of uh, storms. And the, the legend goes that, that at some point the, uh, the Abbey acquired a bell and that they discovered that if they rang the bell, it, it could be heard uh, by the ships just offshore, offshore. And so if the ships heard the bell, they knew they were dangerously close to the rocks. And you think, well, yeah, it's a great, good little story. And, and uh, there's a story, you know, there's a component of the legend that it, it could be heard ringing on stormy nights long after the, you know, there was anyone around to ring it. Uh, but in the 19th century, when a tree came down in the churchyard encased inside it, they did find an ancient bronze bell. So that, that kind of stuff. I, I, mm. I just really get interested in uh, where in areas where the uh, information comes to light that supports the legend. I, I love the idea of a group of women religious living out their vocation in, in such a unique and interesting way. Um, so that was an early one, too, and, and probably my favorite of the ones that, that have had... Uh, you know, sound effects and, and other uh, enhancements added to them. Super. Uh, now, before we run out of time, I want to I want to talk with you about a book that you wrote. Uh, you wrote a book called "The Saints at the Chapel: Thrilling Tales of History's Holiest Heroes." Uh, now, I don't know uh, personally if that's your only work, but I wanted to focus on it because we've been talking about the saints. And I was wondering if you could give uh, just a little synopsis of what the book is about. Yeah, so um, I'm Pittsburgh-based, and uh, Pittsburgh is home to St. Anthony's Chapel, which is uh, which houses the largest collection of, uh, of relics outside of the Vatican. They have uh, relics from more than 5,000 saints on display. The uh, priest who started the chapel uh, was an avid collector, which is which is kind of and he built the chapel initially to house his collection, but it it, it quickly became a um, a secondary repository uh, as uh, wars were fought in Europe to consolidate Italy into a single country or to consolidate Germany into a single country. 
uh, up through including the Second World War, relics were uh, shipped over here for safekeeping to make sure that there would always be, you know, a, a relic of some of these uh, important saints. And the book is intended to help people get the most out of a visit to the chapel. It's uh, it's little sketches uh, strung together. Uh, to tell stories about 20 different saints whose relics you will find, or some of some of the relics you will find on display at the chapel. I, I found if you go there, of course, when they have a tour, the tour is wonderful, uh, but in 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever, they can only hit the hit the with 5,000 saint relics, you know, relics for five, you're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're not gonna cover it. So there was all this really interesting stuff. I mean, if you, if you go uh, just three quarters of the way to the chapel and on the right, there's a skull. That is the skull of um, St. Theodore Stratolitus, a, a Roman general who uh, converted to Christianity and was beheaded for it. Um, and it's found its way to Pittsburgh. And it, it, it nobody, I mean, not nobody, but it doesn't, it's not part of the tour. So it's not something that, you know, people go to the chapel, they walk right by it, they look at it, they have no idea what that is. And so, I, you know, I, I felt that there was a need for something that would help people better prepare for their, you know, trip to the chapel so they could get the most out of it. That's what the book is about. Okay, so that's uh, that's the Saints of the Chapel, Thrilling Tales of History's Holiest Heroes, for anyone who's uh, interested in that book. And if you find yourself in the Pittsburgh area, whether you live there or if you are visiting, uh, pay a visit to downtown uh, Pittsburgh and to St. Anthony's Chapel and uh, come armed with the book if you can. And uh Hopefully your visit there will be a bit more enlightened. Uh, now, Chris, before we close up, um, what, what's going on as far as down the road? What do you have in the works? What's coming up for you? Well, um, you know, COVID has really uh, impacted my ability to do live storytelling. Sure. Uh, yep. So I am, you know, I'm the uh, lecturer for my local Knights of Columbus Council. Uh, you know, I'm involved in uh, in a men's group. So I, I do some I'm doing a lot of Zoom presentations these days, uh, and I am working. I, I, I'll have to see where this goes. I've I've been working on a trivia book about the saints. I mean, a true trivia book, like what's the scientific mystery behind Saint Galgano's sword, or which uh, English soccer club was John Paul II a fan of, and why? <laughs> you know, and uh, and I'm I'm just accumulating. I mean, I, as I do research about the saints, I come across that kind of information, and I'm I'm, I'm compiling it. And when I when I have enough uh, to you know to have a book length manuscript, then um, then I expect that'll probably be my next my next publication. Well, uh, I uh, I wish you well on that project. I think it'll be another good addition to the world of Catholic literature. And uh, you know, just to kind of reiterate something you said er earlier, I think something like that is a good way to sort of humanize the saints. Uh, I agree with you that I think a lot of times we sort of put them into a particular category and we think of the big doctors of the church and we think, oh, well, they're just all, you know, hyper-intelligent, hyper-theologians and I, I have nothing to relate to them. But uh, someone like you that's helping to sort of break the saints down into more human, more personable people, I definitely think it's a great uh, asset so that uh, all of us can come to learn more of the saints, but also feel like we can relate to them a bit more. Yeah, I agree. I uh, I think they're uh, a, a wonderfully uh, fascinating subject. They're, I mean, they all became came to be recognized as saints for a reason. So there's there's always a story there, um, and many of them are just uh, just fascinating people. And and you can't 
you know, you can't tell the story or you can't hear the story. Uh, I mean, if you think about someone like St. Tarsitius, who was a 13-year-old boy who endured a fatal beating rather than let the Eucharist touch the ground, right? You can't tell that story or hear that story without reflecting on the real presence and what the Eucharist means. And so the, 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 the catechesis comes across just in the telling of the story. And, uh, and that's so that I, I think there, that this is material that's been around forever, but we need to, to dust it off and, uh, and find interesting ways to present it to, uh, to a new audience. Well, this time in our history is definitely a good time to uh, look to great people in, you know, that have come and gone uh, and something positive, people that are positive, that have done great things, that continue to do great things in heaven still. Uh, definitely a good time for us to look to the saints. Christopher, uh, do you have, a, you have a website or uh, something that people could look more information about you if they wanted? I, uh, I am the Saint Story Guy on Facebook. And uh, contact information is there. I, I'm the Saint Story Guy at gmail.com. That's all written like one word. Um, if somebody wanted to uh, reach out to me, well, ladies and gentlemen, you uh, you heard that uh, on Facebook, the Saint Story Guy or the Saint Story Guy at gmail.com. Uh, we also have uh, Christopher's works at our website, waobaudiotheater.org. If you go to the contributor bios and look up Christopher Reibold, you can see. Uh, what he's contributed, his writings, as well as his voice. And uh, we hope that Christopher will be able to continue to provide more lives of the saints in many different forms for many people for some time to come. Christopher, thanks so much for being with us for this episode. Yes, thank you very much for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, so glad that you've joined us. I hope that you will tune in again for the next episode. Until then, be good, stay safe, peace. Peace.